0: I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of to Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by Dr. Jackie Rigby, a scientist-turned-transformation leader who shares her experience um, of how... Her scientific background has been able to be applied really effectively within the transformation space. I'm sure you'll enjoy what she has to say. Let me introduce you to her now. It's great to welcome you, Jackie, to the Inside Track podcast. Uh, thanks for going to join us today. Um, your career has spanned a range of marketing, operations and change and transformation roles. Although it's clear that change has been a significant aspect of all the roles that you've been involved in, um, but uh, let's start by providing the listeners with a bit of a brief summary of your career to date, really to get the context of what we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, I've had a rather an eclectic career, and I sometimes look back and wonder how on earth I ever got to where I've got to today. But it's it's been a great ride. Um, everyone says you should plan your career. Um, <laughs> I never really have. I've just looked for opportunities. So uh, I'm not sure I'm the best career advice. However. Uh, I started out as a scientist, so I did a degree in biochemistry. I did a PhD in molecular genetics in the times when DNA sequencing was quite novel,
0: yeah.
1: um, and stayed in academia until my later 20s, and then realized that I really like talking to people too much because academia is very lonely, <laughs> and uh, also it's not very customer-facing, it's not very commercial, and I sort of realized that I've missed all those things, so I gave up my time in, in the lab, which was which was fun used to play five-a-side football with the lads, used to play squash league, used to cut hair in the corner of the lab when we were watching Neighbours on a Friday. Um, (laughs) Put all that aside and actually went to do do some proper work. (laughs) So um, I went to the Medical Research Council, then Smith-Cline Beecham, and that's where I really discovered change, I guess, although it wasn't really called that in those days. So started in market research, trained as a business analyst and very well trained in a blue chip company. Um, And the career went from there, project management, program management. Um, Then ended up at the co-op in uh, just in the sort of early 2000s and loved my time there. And again, fantastic company to work for because you learn so much and you're given great opportunities. And that's when I moved from being sort of sitting in IT and working with the business on change and actually then sitting in the business and working with IT on change. So I've sat on both sides of the fence, which is relatively unusual in change. Um, so I've owned p and I got into marketing, I got into product development, I did business development. But I've always done that through a change lens, as, as you said, Tony. Um, And had a great career at co-op in funerals and legal services. I was acting CIO for a while for part of the organisation. I did all sorts. Um, And then left the co-op and ended up by accident, in my usual career way, by by accident, um, doing my own thing. Uh, Somebody rang me up and said, are you working yet, Jackie? I said, no. And they said, can you come and help me for a few days on this project I'm working on? So I said, yes set myself up in business overnight and the last seven years is history as they say yeah. i've done a variety of interim and consultancy and advisory uh, pieces of work across marketing and transformation and, and change and product uh, including digital product development so I, I don't know i just just i just enjoy enjoy life and enjoy challenges so i guess oh, that's what's got me where i've got to
0: yeah it's it's interesting you know you you two two things that you've just said there that you know um, that you, you haven't really planned your career. And, and what I find um, in a lot of these podcasts but, and also talking to people in project planning and change management is that, that it's never been the plan. You, people have just fallen into it and really enjoyed it. Um, and then the career developed in a, in a completely different way. Yeah. Although I, I suspect yours is more effective than, than many, to <laughs> be fair. Uh, but the, the second thing is that there's so many people that I know that have been in the co-op <laughs> some stage in their career. Um, but the beauty of the co-op, uh, for those that don't know, is that it's got so many different businesses, hasn't it? So, yeah. you, although the, the the PLC brand is the same, mm. you know, you've got you've got retail, you've got funeral, you've got legal, you've got banking, you've got loads of different business units, haven't you? Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. and 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 if you've if you've been lucky enough to work across all those different divisions, you know, you, you you've almost got a Uh, I don't know, you've got uh, the the broadness of working across multiple sectors, but still within the same organisation.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's really nice to hear somebody who understands the co-op because people say, well, you stayed in one place for 13 years. And you go, well, no, I didn't, because actually each separate business has got its own subculture. You're all aligned behind the cooperative purpose. But the leader within each of the business units drives their own culture. And each business has got its own challenges. So, as you say, it's, it's hugely different if I'm working in the legal business for funerals, if I'm working across with the bank, I was working with insurance. Um, all those cultures are different, both from a regulatory point of view and a leadership point of view. Um, and I don't think I realised since I left how much value I'd got out of nearly 13 years at the co-op. Um, I was worried I'd be left behind having stayed in one place for 13 years. But actually, it was almost the opposite. As you said, it's the breadth of experience you can get in somewhere like that, particularly if you move across different departments and different businesses, which I did, that actually has made it really fun to then go off and um, help in lots of different businesses in lots of different ways, drawing on that experience yeah. from different leadership styles, different cultures, different toolkits, different processes um, and yeah I, 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 yeah I look back now and I think that was a really good decision going to the goal. Yeah
0: no absolutely. So um, we always tend to start this uh, podcast with a question. So how do you define transformation?
1: <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question and do you know what I don't get hung up on definitions um, but I guess if you're if you asking me I'd probably say it's where there's a step change in summary and that might be within a function it might be across a business but you're going from a to b um you're not just tweaking something around the edge um i think change and transformation are sometimes interchangeable as words and some people think that actually it's really important to differentiate them i'm just not one of those that that's just like the principles are the same yeah. It doesn't matter how big a transformation or change program is; the principles are the same. So you know, you just get the job done r- rather than worry about the definition.
0: I agree. I agree. But the question we, we, we raised—the question—really about, about put the context into the rest of the conversation, because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, like you said, there are. Um, quite diverse definitions out there and uh, it's fascinating when when, you know I I did something a few weeks ago and and just put uh, um, transformation into Google and there was something like 1.4 billion pages Wow! Uh, it was just anyway Um, but one of the things I I, I sort of picked up on your LinkedIn profile was you talk about humanizing um, transformation so what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah I mean it's when I, when I look back at the programs I've worked with and, the, and where it's worked well and where I've seen things work less well, i try to put my finger on what is it that really makes a difference? And, and it is that human element, whether you look at it, whether you're talking about humans as customers, so you're understanding the customer need and the pain points and making sure that you're meeting those as part of your transformation, or whether it's to do with actually the whole people element of transformation, which is more important than anything else. Transformation often starts in tech, which is always a disaster if it stays in tech. It can start there, but it can't stay there. Um, And the the way that I work is is holistic. So it's really important that you look at the people, the culture, the processes, the tech, and link that all together in your transformation. Um, And people miss the people side and the culture side. Um, and, And that's what makes the difference in terms of transformation success for me fundamentally is that human element of the customer and the people and that's 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 why that's why it's something that just sticks in my heart I guess
0: yeah no it, it's interesting I was uh, I was listening to a uh, high performance podcast uh, with uh, Jay Commphre and Daily use um, a couple of weeks ago and, and there was one the, the episode I was listening to was uh, with Christian Horner the yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the f1 yeah. um, um yeah. Red Bull F1 principle. Yeah. And, and he, he, he was saying is uh, the, the one thing that um, um, he talks about all the time around performance and, and, and high performance um, is it's people. Mm. Um, and and it's, it's the same, as you say, within transformation. It's all about the people, isn't it? It is not it You can put the technology and you can put the process in, but if you haven't got the people to follow yeah. the process and to adopt that technology, you get nowhere.
1: Exactly, and we've seen that a lot. You know, we, you look at you look at why transformation fails, and fundamentally, it's a it's, it's a human element that's failed. It's the human element of leadership. It's the human element of of not engaging people from the start. It's ignoring the people element and and doing it to them. It's not it's not engaging them through the process. You know, when I look at why most things fail in terms of transformation. It's it's probably 99 times out of 100 some human element to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what are the key things that you put in place uh, when you're driving change and transformation within an organisation to, to overcome those typical deficiencies?
1: Yeah, there's, a, there's sort of th- th- there's lots, but I guess the sort of the three things that I really make sure I focus on is there has to be a vision, there has to be a, p- a purpose and a north star and a story behind the change that you can articulate and the leadership can articulate and people can get their their heads around it and follow a story that makes sense to them and gives them that purpose and vision. So create that vision. The other bit is, is actually engaging people from the start um it's one of the things that quite often actually people go oh, no 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 let's not tell them about anything we'll we'll go as a transformation team and we'll sit in the war room and we'll sort it all out and then we'll tell them what with what they need to do and that's just the anathema so so what's really important is getting people in the room across functions from day one and getting them to help design the future and doing that in in a workshop style i mean you can even do it remotely it's still, it still still works remotely yeah. Um, so creating that future together with people. So they're doing the change together, not actually, you're, you're not imposing it on them. And then the third thing is that principle for me of looking across all the pillars of transformation. So your technology, your processes, your people and your culture, and that program has to have all those elements being managed and monitored and controlled, not just the tech, not just the process. Because people and culture tends to come either late in the process or gets ignored or you get to the stage when you're sitting in a room and the steering group's going, well, they're just going to have to do what we tell them to do, aren't they? (laughs) If you get to that place, well, you know, you're really going to struggle. So I guess the three principles for me is the vision, um, you know, getting people engaged at the start and then that holistic view of, of transformation and those principles then
0: everything else then fits around it for me. Yeah, I, I, I sort of, aspired uh, smiled when you were mentioning the, uh, uh, the example that you gave around, let, let's get in the room and we'll decide what's happening and, and, and we'll take it forward. And, and that happens all too often, doesn't oh. it? It, it? It's frightening how often that you, you, we get pulled into an organisation to, to help what we would probably talk about, a turnaround situation, um, but to recover a failing project. And that's what they've done yeah and and I, and I always talk about the role of a, tr- of a leader in a program or a transformation is to facilitate that transformation it's not to lead it it's to facilitate it and the, and bring the people together and, and take it forward but yeah against that clear vision absolutely
1: yeah without that and,
0: and without having consistency of uh, across the board, or across the senior stakeholders, that that is the right vision to go go to, which is a, a, another area that I find yeah. sometimes gets in the way.
1: It does because you know you've got the sort of you've got personal agendas, you've got um, you know that power and control that sits you know in 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 those sort of silos really, um, and you know the thing about transformation is it can provide a threat to certain individuals or certain teams. Um, either because it might, you know, people worry about losing their jobs, or they worry about having to do things differently, or or just fundamentally, just the, the whole process. Um, but the more you engage people from the outset, even if they're sat there with their arms folded initially, the better chance you've got of actually getting them on side. Um, and the leadership style of command and control, you know, leads to that. Let's sit in a room and decide it, and then tell them. Um, and that just that leadership style is starting to die out more and more. So I'm hopeful that transformation programmes increasingly will be under leadership, which is much more transformational leadership rather than transactional leadership. We should then help transformation be a success.
0: Agreed. Another area that I tend to find that organisations um, struggle with, uh, and it'd be interesting to get your views, is that um, delivery of the value, the expected value from the business case. <laughs> um, and there's a whole reason for that, you know, and, and we can probably, probably spend the next three or yeah. four hours talking about it. Yeah. But what, what, what things do you put in place to try to keep a track of that that value delivery?
1: It's, it's a really, really good point. And I, and I think, I mean, I've written business cases, particularly earlier in my career, with the genuine belief that that actually they were were real enough and they were trackable. And then you realize that most of the time they aren't real. They're a set of assumptions on assumptions on assumptions because there's often no data if you're doing transformation, you've got no proxy. It's just a series of of things which are increasingly wrong. And if you come up with an answer that doesn't, doesn't make sense in terms of the finances, then you just end up tweaking it anyway. So you're starting in a bad place where you're setting expectations based on made up numbers, which I think is, is, a, real, is, is a real struggle. And I haven't got the answer of how you get past that because then you can track against it. But actually, if you fundamentally, it was made up in the first place, then, then actually that's the root cause of the problem. However, you can't go to a board and just go, oh, trust us, you know, just, just give us a million pounds and, and we'll build something and it'll, it'll be fine. So, I think it's a real challenge to, 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 to actually um, get under the skin of how you do proper benefits tracking in reality, because if your baseline isn't right, then you're tracking against sand. However, okay. to answer your question, <laughs> then one of the things that I think fundamentally goes wrong in transformation is the, benefit, the, the business benefits case is here, and the, uh, the benefits are measured a long way out in the future. Um, and by that point, actually, a million other things have happened yeah. you know, that could have influenced the outcome, and the people who are actually responsible for the programme, um, including the sponsor, have gone on and done something else quite often. So, so that's the other problem. So what I, what I do is are looking for those steps along the way, you know, in terms of how can we, how can we, try, how can we give it a line of sight that looks like we're on the right track for those benefits, and measure those as early as possible before you even get to delivery. But again, this is not just about numbers. This is about your people. How are your people feeling? How they are responding to change? It's about your processes. It's about your culture, um, engagement through through the programme. And it's about your technology as well. So you can set up those interim steps along the way that give you a better line of sight to actually, are you going to get the outcome? And I don't just mean doing a RAG report and doing a risk and issues log. Yeah. I mean, setting your KPIs so you've got interim metrics. It's not easy to do, um, but the principle of it at least gets you further than disconnecting the, the outcome over here with your business case, um, which yeah. was made up been the first place. <laughs>
0: Now, I, I wondered whether your sort of scientific background would, would, would influence on that, because that, presumably a lot of the uh, 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 science and, and, and new, new product development must come from a basis of, we don't know, but we're going to try stuff out. And we don't know what the end result will be. But if it's if, if following these assumptions, it could look like this.
1: <laughs> Do you know, you're so, you're so right. And when I, when I started working on digital product development, I had that eureka moment of realising that actually it brought me right back to science. And one of my... Fa- I'm going to shut the window. This is planes. One of my favourite quotes is um, Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox, who I adore anyway. Mm-hmm. And he says, the essence of science is to be delighted to be wrong, because every time you're wrong, you learn something. Okay. And... And that is, as you say, that that particularly in product development, and that's driving some of this um, more uh, progressive way of of change, is that you go on a journey and you combine creativity, ideation with data. So you can set a hypothesis, just like you would do in in a scientific experiment, You you make it quick and dirty. You don't build the whole thing properly. You can even just, you know, put boards up and just do, you know, screens that have been created in a a couple of days that don't really work. And you can actually take people through and watch what they do and listen to what they say, listen to their tone of voice, watch how they navigate, ask them lots of questions. And you can learn a lot in a, you know, a seven-day period of doing a quick sprint, which will give you much greater insight of whether you're going in the right direction or not. And that is the complete opposite to the old fashioned waterfall where you write a business case and three years later, you deliver something (laughs) by which time the whole world has changed. Yeah. Um, And so it's for me, combining science in terms of data and metrics and monitoring what's going on, qualitative research, which is still data, but it's but it's softer data and actually that creativity in terms of actually what, what hypotheses can we try and test. That gets you to an exciting place where you can you can actually um, you can actually learn as you go along, just like you do in science. Yeah. And and I and I love that. It was that light bulb moment when oh my god, digital product and science—they're the same thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and like you say, you get you can spend weeks and months trying to um, produce the perfect plan yeah. to get you to this um, end vision. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> and a week in something happens it takes yeah. you completely off track so wh- why do we waste all that time trying to plan for it let's just start moving forward being clear about where you want to get to
1: exactly
0: but not to be not to be too worried about how you're going to get
1: there it, exactly and that's it's, quite that's quite scary when the first time you do it. i remember the first time that somebody talked to me about that i found it really scary because it went against everything i learned you know it's just like well, oh, no, you've got a plan it, and you've got to have everything, you know, all laid out, and you've got to spend hours redoing your plan every week. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, but it's, what, it's, it's what I term the the, the sat nav approach to transformation, yeah. because you you, you you dial in the destination, don't you, and then yeah. you, you you take into account all the traffic as you're going along the road yeah. and take a different route.
1: That's a good analogy. I like that. I'm going to pinch that one,
0: Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've we've spoken about getting the vision right and we spoke about um engaging the, the people and, the, and 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 we, we've just been tra- sort of talking about sort of tracking mm. um uh, progress um, um and, and, and 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 the results or the outcomes that we're looking for yeah. um what what what, uh, what do you do to sort of maintain that momentum because you know some of these programs that we get involved in um, as, as we've just been talking about multi-year and and Maybe the initial sort of enthusiasm to get things going, but then it becomes quite. You know, going to the sort of second year, can become quite a bind, can't it? So, what what do you do to sort of maintain the momentum? Yeah,
1: there's 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 probably a couple of things. One one is that a classic thing about actually celebrating smaller milestones. You know, in the old days, you just have a project and you only celebrate it at the end with the big project party. I think people realise that actually that could be quite a long time and people were worn out by then. Um, so lots of little celebrations. And that doesn't mean spending a lot of money. It can be you know, just a little get-together with some pizza. It can be you know, a, a quiz evening. It can just be sending a note round with you know, na- you know, naming some, some sort of successes and, and individuals. It can be... Um, and also things like show and tell, which again comes from Product World, get people in a room on a regular basis every two weeks, every every four weeks, you know, whatever's relevant and actually get the people on the program to show, show individuals what's going on. Um, and not just, you know, the tech side, but, you know, the process side or the people side or, um, you know, do some customer vox pops, do some, you know, do some, I mean, I've done some great experiences where, you you, you actually engage people in the contact center because they're quite often the people who are face to face with the customer, but because they're the most junior members of the organization quite often, they get ignored completely wrong. So get them involved, get them to, to look at what's being developed, get them in a room, get some quotes from them, share those around the business, put them on the screens on, on the wall. So you keep it alive by again, making it human. Sending out lots of data is is good for your finance people, um, and you need that for your program governance. But it doesn't really engage your people. So, no. so, bring people to the people and and show them and and make it come to life, and that helps keep it keep it alive. But any more tips you've got, I'm I'm happy to pinch those as well, Tony. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's interesting that show and tell um, is 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 perfect way of just as you say. Stripping back that you know, any long-term transformation is just a series of, of shorter, as you say, sprints or deliveries. So every time you've got one, take them through what we've done and and, and how you've got there and how they've been engaged. Um, but equally, as they're going through that, um, uh, again, something that I've sort of tried to um, put a title against, but showing engage um, so so that you you... You know you're not just waiting to the end of delivering and, and telling them what you've done you're actually taking them through and well with this stage what do you think in engaging yeah. them and it's it links back to what you you, you were talking yeah. about earlier just as you're saying getting people more actively involved and yeah. and you, you're right you know the uh was it john timpson um uh, sort of coined this sort of upside down management as an it Where yeah. actually uh, as chairman he's the least uh important person in the organization the most important person people are the are the frontline people in in the case of you just been talking about those call centers because they get the first-hand experience from the customer
1: yeah they know what the customer's like quite often the people doing the transformation program have never spoken to any of the customers of that business yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely and and you say that the the, the leaders of the and the sponsors of the of of the change tend to be so far away from the front, uh, uh the, the the front line, you know they 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 probably I'm not saying in every case because that, that but in a lot of cases they they've been away from the front line for so long, in their mind it's still as it was ten fifteen years ago and things have moved along massively.
1: Yeah. And people struggle. I mean, it's it's really hard. People struggle to actually put themselves in the shoes of a customer who isn't like them. You know, yes. you know, well, I like this and therefore why don't our customers like it? Or isn't that what our customers want? And actually you go, well, you're a completely different, um, you've got completely different attitudes and beliefs. You, you're a completely different age, you're a completely different life stage to, to the target customer. So why would you think that actually that's what they want? Let's go and talk to the customer, shall we? Let's see. You yeah, know, I don't know either because I'm not a typical customer. Well, let's go and talk to the customer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and again, presumably, that's your product development piece, isn't it? Because uh, you know, that something similar, I suppose, uh, a good few years ago now, but it was uh, just at the start where where sort of technology was really starting to come in and hand out devices and. And in apps and all that sort of stuff. And um, um, th- there was a, a piece of work that was being done uh, in, in a support services organization, um, but it was looking at handheld devices. And uh, senior team were like, well, why do we need to do this? Couldn't really understand. So the, 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 they could understand the mechanics of it and they could understand the economic um, benefits of it and the, and the trackability of the data. But they couldn't understand um, why we needed to invest a lot of time and effort in getting the user, um, um, uh, the, the the usability of the app working yeah. properly. Um, and 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 we just did that. We d- we went to the to the um, front line, the people of a certain age that were employees. Yes. It's okay. What do you think about this app? Yeah. And they they were like, it's like. 20 year old technology, we, we want more, more modern stuff and This wants, and it's swipe right and all that sort of stuff and, and suddenly you're getting, that for, you're getting that sort of feedback from the people that are using it yeah. and that was so valuable and, 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 and ultimately cost a little bit more than the original business plan was but saved a fortune yeah. because we were, all that initial in, uh, investment would have been wasted because it just wouldn't have happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that, it's, 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 as you say, you know, that, I remember one of the things I very first learned when I was being trained as a BA and into project management is your analysis is the most important bit of your program in in a classic sort of waterfall, because it's understanding your requirements and you translate that through and it's the equivalent now is actually you need to understand your customer, you know, because actually if you understand your customer, what their pain points are, what their needs are hypothesize how you might be able to solve them, put something in front of them that's quick and dirty, test it and learn from it. That's the equivalent. And the more time you spend actually doing that, the more successful you'll, you'll then be. Because you're de-risking your, your investment further down the line yeah. because you're investing in understanding something that, that really attracts a customer. I means a classic case of the um, 3D TVs. So they put they pumped loads and loads of money into 3D TVs and they went on sale and nobody bought them because nobody wanted to sit with 3D yeah. glasses in front of the TV at home. Now, you go, well, that looks like a classic case of, well, let's give them something that's high tech that they're bound to want, aren't they? And they don't know they want it. And, and, that, and that went wrong. You know, then the opposite. And of course, Apple have done the, the, You know, well, let's put something in front of them that actually they haven't asked for. And of course, you know, the rest is history again, as they say so so if you if you take the route where you don't actually seek input from customers you can get it horribly wrong but occasionally you'll get it very right
0: yeah no <laughs> absolutely. absolutely but it, but again it's that um, minimum viable products isn't it it's just let's get something out there that's quick and dirty yeah test it out and if there's a market then you can invest in it um and it's that that, that it's the same principle in innovation isn't it it's fail fast um, you know, let, let's, let's just try something out, get a minimum viable product, see whether it works. If it doesn't, we've been it, um, but we, we, uh, we, we um, sort you've out learned. the ones that are the flyers.
1: You've learned from it. It's the uh, same as, you know, same as any sort of scientific experiment. You know, failure is a good thing because mm. actually you, you, you've learned something you've excluded something, but I mean, even if you, even when you know, you've launched a product or you've tested a product in, in research in its very early stages, it doesn't matter that some things weren't liked. It actually matters that you know that they weren't liked. That's what really matters. And that really challenges again, sort of more sort of classic leadership, uh, you know, of, of actually failure is a bad thing. Yeah, It, it, dr- it drives me mad. When you see leadership that actually focuses on failure and you get down to witch hunting individuals, and actually failure is something to learn from. And as long as you learn, I always say to people when I have a new team, I always say, you can make a mistake, not bother, just come and tell me so that I don't, you know, it's not a surprise to me if somebody if my boss mentions it to me. Um, that's fine, you know, but we'll talk about what you've learned from it. If you make the same mistake again, we might have a slightly different conversation. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You have to fail, otherwise you're not going to learn and you're not taking enough risks if you don't fail.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you don't fail, you're not pushing the boundaries, are you? You're not. So, um, and, and if you don't push the boundaries, you don't make the big leaps. It,
1: exactly, which is your transformation.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the same principle of, you know, you would never um, slap your child down, would you, because they were trying to walk. Yeah. Uh, and, and every yeah. time they fall fell over, you you you, you, yeah. you tell them off for falling over. It's like no, you you're encouraging them to you know, stand up and fail, and because every time they try, they get they'll learn a little bit and they'll get the balance, etc. It's, it's it's interesting how these we react to one thing in one way in one yeah. um, um, part of our life, and then yeah. completely ignore that core concept in another part of life. And as you say, the challenge is a lot of the time is is. Uh, within organisations, failures frowned upon as opposed to being celebrated almost. Yeah, but I suppose to some extent it depends upon the type of failure.
1: It, it does, yes. I mean, obviously, there you know there are certain circumstances that that actually you know the, the, there are severe consequences sometimes, which uh, mean you end up in jail. But
0: <laughs> but, but I think even those, having I mean, said that, I, I was on. I'm arguing against myself now. But even those if you it, what what i think what tends to happen is that um, they've noticed something going wrong early doors but didn't didn't put the hands up and then kept and tried to hide it and kept it going kept it going and a failure on a failure on a failure becomes a very big failure yeah. um, uh, where if they if they'd if they'd had a culture where failure was acceptable and you learn from it yeah. Then maybe at the start, they wouldn't have tried to hide that that initial that initial. And that happens in programs all too often.
1: Oh, yeah. it, it it does, doesn't it? You can, you know, and you'll get this, you can sense it sometimes. If you go into something, then you get a sense of the fact that there's a bit of a cover-up there because actually nobody wants to say it's going south. Yeah. You know, I've sat in rooms with and you just go, so you're saying that's green, you're saying that particular aspect is green. So tell me why you think it's green. And actually, you end up going, end up coming out going. Well, it's amber, or sometimes red. Yeah. But the, but nobody likes putting amber and red on a, on a on a classic report. And you just go, if it's all green, there's something wrong. I know there's something wrong. That's, yeah. that's a red flag yeah. to me.
0: No, I agree absolutely. And, and 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 the other part of it is is that I I use it all 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 the time to get the sponsors and the leaders. Focused upon the right areas, so I'll drop a red in. Might not be red, might be amber. It's certainly not green. But it might not put, It might not be red, but if I put a red in, I know I'm going to get attention. Yeah, focus. So you can use it to your advantage. But all too often, people are scared of putting red in. So well, I can't remember who it was now. I think it was Richard Kerr a few weeks ago. He was talking about. Um, he, he calls it the watermelon approach green on the outside and red on the inside. Since you cut it open, it goes red. And I thought that's a really great analogy. Isn't it? I like
1: that one. That's a really good <laughs> analogy. But yeah, right. but again, you're back so- to that failure thing, aren't you? Because if you put a report in front of your, your sponsor that's got amber or red on it, I mean, I've seen sponsors just freak out because actually it, it's almost saying your project is failing um that's the message that that is then received it's not it's not actually the intention but it's the res- the reception of it and then you end up in a defensive situation um, and you're back to that failure culture again of failure's wrong and actually well amber's a good thing because you can do something about it yeah red's a good thing because you can do something about it if it's all green then there's probably trouble ahead
0: <laughs> no absolutely absolutely and um sometimes it's right just to stop and reflect yeah. because you might be, you might end up going down the completely wrong path and yeah. yeah. um, so um and and you know it might all be green but you probably won't end up where you want to get to yeah um, That's very true, so you, you using your red and your ambers as, as ways of just stopping and checking yeah. is a good is a, is a good approach yeah so um we, one of the questions we tend to ask a lot is is around sort of managing stress because, you know, as we've said already, it, transformation and change can be stressful for people that are receiving that change, but also stressful for the people that are leading it. So what, what do you do to alleviate any stress that you feel?
1: My, my, my favourite, absolute favourite thing is, is walking. Because in the number of times I've, I've gone for a walk with my husband and we've walked and talked. Um, and it might not be about what's going on at work. It might be about something else, but just that act of, of walking and talking either about something completely different so you take your mind off it or you talk through the problem and actually just externalising it helps. That's, that's, my, that's one of my favourite things. Um, music I find brilliant. You know, it's just if you're in a bit of a mood, if you're feeling a bit stressed, if you're feeling a bit down, then you choose your the right level of, you know, either, you know, yeah. high, high energy or easy listening. Um and put that on. And that changes my mood enormously. Um, and it's so, so, so powerful. Um, and also like a bit of gardening. So yesterday I was out in the garden digging the weeds, sort of going, fire these weeds. <laughs> <laughs> but it's quite cathartic. So I'll put put um, a podcast in, let's do some do some personal development um, through through my ears. Yeah and and do some gardening at the same time so it's I get two things two things done uh so so yeah they're probably the three top things that I that I do to to get through the stressful times
0: yeah and, and all of those are just taking you out of the environment that you're in aren't they and giving you some space yeah. and some time of reflection and yeah. um, and as you say doing something to change your emotional state yeah, um, yeah. And um, and and those are the key lessons I think on on, on anything it's it, um, any any stressful event is just a point in time, isn't it? And if you can extract yourself from that and just give you a bit, of, get a, give you ta- a bit of time and a bit of space, um, and um, you, you can usually find a way through. And and, um, and that's 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 seems to be a common theme um, when when we ask that question. Actually, um, so we always end the podcast with the question um, about your one takeaway. Um, for in terms of in terms of change and transformation, if, if you if you could only do one thing, or if you could only provide one bit of advice to to um, um, the listeners, what what would that what would that one piece of advice be?
1: It would be engage people right from the start and all the way through.
0: Brilliant, perfect way to end. Thank you very much, Jackie. It's a uh, really good conversation yeah. and um, we occasionally get questions. Uh, are you happy if I, if I collate them you to answer any, anyone? Of
1: course.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Cheers, Tony.
0: Thank you, Jackie. Once again, that was a great session, a great podcast. i really delighted that you were able to join us. Uh, one of the things I've just taken from there is your comment about red is good because you can always do something about it. Um, So let's take that as a key lesson from today's session Um, and not worry when we have to um, record something as read on the next programme because we can always do something about it. For those of you who haven't already investigated the Transformation Leaders Hub, please do so. It's a community for project programme change and transformation people. Equally, if you need support in delivering your change programmes, TLH provides you with direct access to a large group of really experienced individuals. Irrespective of whether you need someone to join you permanently, on a contract, or provide some short-term consulting support, you'll never have to pay any intermediary fees. A real game-changer, in my opinion.